Psalm 53, and the title of this sermon is called Fools. <clears throat> Psalm 53, and as we know, we've already Brady, Brady read Psalm 14, and as you can tell, Psalm 14, what we read has seven verses, and Psalm 53 has six So this is a psalm of David, and it says, For the choir director, according to Mahalath, a masculine David. And as I was reading through many commentaries uh, this past two weeks, actually, and in meditating on this, um, Charles Spurgeon actually points out, and he says that the word Mahalath appears to signify disease. And truly, this psalm, this, this psalm we're about to read, is man's disease, the mortal and hereditary taint of sin. And almost word for word, Psalm 14. And as we know, when God repeats Himself in His Word, you know, He doesn't just, they're not in vain, these words that He repeats. And in this chapter, you know, we see verses 1 through 5 in Psalm 53, almost word for word in Psalm 14. Uh, so we may, may we remind ourselves that this, when God repeats this, that it's never in vain. That it even becomes more important. So let us, let us pray um, before we read this. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that You would convict me, that You would speak through me, God, to Your people, to Your people, God. This is Your Word, God, and this is the message I believe You have given me, God, so may I proclaim it boldly. Um, God, You're such a gracious and merciful God. You deserve our full intention, God, so I pray that as I lead in prayer, God, that our hearts would be focused upon You, that we wouldn't be thinking about... uh, Anyone else, but simply ourselves, our lives, so we could be, so we could grow in holiness, to be more like your Son, to be more like the image of Christ. God, I pray that you would calm my nerves. God, I pray that you would protect me from error. That you would protect me from saying anything that's not what you have meant. God, thank you for your Son. For it is only through Christ that we can stand before you, washed white, your children. It is only through Christ that we could come to you. God, thank you. Thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Alright, Psalm 53, starting with verse 1. It says that the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice, and there is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge? 
who eat at my people as though they ate bread, and have not called upon God. There they were, in great fear where no fear had been. For God scattered the bones of him who camped against you. You put them to shame, because God has had rejected them. Verse 6. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion, when God restores his captive people. Let Jacob rejoice, and let Israel be glad. Amen. Alright. Verse 1. Full has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. So the first point that I have is called professing atheists. Today, the world and all of its foolishness and their own nature would say the same thing about us Christians, right? You've heard it. That we are the fools for believing in the one and true God. You know, Thursday, when you guys were at the bus station, and I believe um, when you guys were actually eating down the street at uh, Dave's, and you guys were praying for me, you know, I was just down the street, uh, open air preaching outside of the Paycom Center. I believe there was a Trans-Siberian concert. And so, um, you know, right off the bat, as soon as I started open air preaching, I want to say about 10 minutes in, uh, you know, usually you can tell um, who's, who's for you and who's not against you, for the most part. Um, you know, usually those who are standing right directly in front of you and who are listening, for the most part, from my experience, they're usually Christians. Uh, and it seems like they're listening there just to see if what you say is correct or if it lines up with what they believe. But when it comes to mockers and scoffers, it's, it's kind of the same way. You can usually tell uh, if they're you know, an enemy of God, an enemy of Christ. And I want to say, as soon as I saw this mocker, he, I, I could just tell, I was like, man, he's, he's going to say something. And so, as about, I want to say, 30 to 60 people gathered in front of me as I was stoplight preaching, you know, I only had them for about one to two minutes. I had a scoffer right off the bat, just mocking, cursing, smiling, you know, as if what I was doing was the dumbest thing he's ever seen, you know, the most foolish thing. And, uh, and I did, I asked him, I said, sir, I said, do you believe what I'm doing is foolish? And he did. And he started cursing God. He said, yes, I, you know, I, I do, I think it's foolish. And that's when I pointed him to Corinthians, uh, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 1, 18. You know, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I said, sir, you know, you must repent. Because if you find this foolish, then you are perishing. And that's when he, you know, just for a second, I caught him off guard. I didn't think he thought I would say something like that. But it's, it's God's word. You know, it, uh, it's offensive. God's word can be offensive because it's truth. Uh, so the professing atheist, you know, he said, he said that what I was doing was foolish. That we are the fools for not believing that nothing, that nothing created everything. How merciful is our God that as a fool walks on God's creation, breathe in, breathes in God's mercy. And instead of worshiping the Creator, they worship the creation. The fool with his own eyes said that God 
that God has given them looks into the beautiful sky that God has painted every morning, every evening, you know, every afternoon, every evening, and every night that God has painted. Instead of giving honor and glory to God who has painted that, they worship. They worship the painting. They worship the things that they see. And today, I just want to ask you guys, do you guys ever see that today with, with current artists, act, actress or actors or rappers or celebrities? I don't, I don't think we ever really see that, you know, when it comes to any celebrity or any artist, that the people always worship the artists. You know, they always admire and give praise to them. But when it comes to God, it is never that way, unless God brings us near, draws us to Him. You know, as Stephen, Law, Stephen Lawson puts it, he says, it's not that they have head problems, it's that they have heart problems. It's a heart issue. It's not an intellectual thing. It's not an intellectual thing. It's, an, it's a heart thing. You know, one of my favorite quotes, and I use this a lot, and I know we've probably overheard this before, but it Ray Comfort. He says, every song has a composer and every book has an author. Every car has a maker and every painting has a painter and every building has a builder. So isn't so is it irrational to take this simple logic a little further and say that nature must have must have had a maker? It would be irrational to believe that it made itself. So the fool, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God, because they are corrupt. And it is abomination to say that there is no God. You know, there is one time that I was open air preaching outside of a uh, concert, um, Tower Theater, it's a venue on 23rd Street, um, I think in the Plaza District. And it's a new spot, but I remember having this conversation with a girl who wasn't very happy. She she did she admitted that she, she hated Christianity, that she hated Christ, that actually she, she actually didn't believe that there was a God. So usually usually sometimes you could you have to have discernment to decide if you wanna just have this conversation with them and and you know, as I was talking to her it seemed like she did, so I just kinda I walked her down this simple logic. I was like I was like, man this this building that you're about to walk into, I was like, did you see them build it? And she was like, no. She's like, why does that matter? I was like, well, I was like, you believe that someone built it though, right? And she was like, well, yeah, obviously, you know, obviously I'm not an idiot. And she said that. She said to me, and I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, huh? I'm about to set, set you up. Uh, but, uh, and I did. I said, I said, so you didn't see this building be, you know, being built, but you know that there's enough evidence there to say that there is a builder. And uh, I, was like, so, I was like, so why do people do that with the world? And she was stunned. She had, she had nothing to say. Um, but I, I say that because when I was having that conversation with her and walking her through that, uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't... She, she still believed what she believed and she still hated Christianity. And I actually did not get to share the gospel with her. And and I say that because God says in his word that the word you know that uh that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God, that it's an abomination to believe 
that there is no God because He has made it evident to every single person on this world that He is here. And, you know, Brady has pointed it out to me many times, and if there's anything, many things I've learned from him, uh, one of the most important things that I've learned is so when you, when you open your preacher, when you share the gospel with anyone, especially an atheist, you know, a professing atheist, it is to always to make sure that when you share Christ with them, that, that you actually share the gospel, that you share God's law, that you share the need for Christ. Because if you're just going to stand there and argue with an atheist, you're actually arguing with a fool. You know, God says that it's an abomination. Um, that they are corrupt. That there is no one who does good. So the professing atheists, today, in the world, with all its foolishness in their own nature, would say the same thing about us Christians. That there is no God. That God is a merciful God. Um, so, uh, point number two. So now that we're done with the professing atheists, which we know that, that there truly are no atheists, and we're going to read Romans 1 again. But the practical atheist, it says that the word used for fool is more than an intellectual mindset. It is not that they aren't smart enough. It is that they simply reject God, that they are fools. It's not, however, that they just said this, but where it was said in the heart. The phrasing of said in his heart also reminds us that it is possible for one to say in his mind, there is a God, yet deny it in his heart and life. When may, when we, may we believe in God and theory, yet be a practical atheist in the way we live. So the question I have for you guys, one question I have for you guys, is are you, brothers and sisters, believing in mind that there is a God, but yet at times live as if there is no God in our hearts? And I believe, if we're honest, many a times we do that. That every time we're not satisfied with God, and we sin against Him willingly. There are many times. And even Charles Spurgeon points out that, you know, when, when we do that, it is as if we're saying in our heart that there is no God. Because when you willingly sin, most of the time, it's like you try to ignore every single thing. You try to ignore that there is a God above who is washing you from the heavens. But not only that, but that there is a Spirit, His Spirit that lives within you. So brothers and sisters, I ask you not to think of anyone else but yourself. Are there moments that you believe in your mind that there is God, but yet deny it in your heart as if He is not there? Our God, man, our God is a gracious God. He is a merciful God to us. That when we fall short, you know, that our, our, God, our God is a faithful God. And we can rejoice in that. Because there have been times in my life where I have, I have sinned against God willingly. I've even planned on it. And God, 
you know, with His kindness, you know, His kindness leads us to repentance. It's an amazing thing that our God is a faithful God, that even when we fall short the things that He has said, they are true, and He won't turn against us because Christ lives within us. So, may His kindness lead us to repentance, brothers and sisters. And I know, right, you guys are probably thinking, why did you name it the practical atheist? You know, point number two. Well, simply because I think many of us live as if we are practical atheists, even though we're, you know, that Christ, His Spirit lives within us. But the second part of verse 1, right? There is no one who does good. Everyone has turned from God and His rule, from truth into error, from righteousness into sin, and from wisdom into foolishness. And while people can do things, none of their good deeds are inherently good. And no one, and none who of those good deeds are good enough to do penalty of sin. For there is none who does good. And even when we are sealed with this Spirit, because we still have these sinful bodies, may we continue to fight the battle that has already been won. There is none who does good. And in verse 2 it says, God has looked down from the heavens upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. And point number 3, the seeker. And as we have read already, Romans 1, but I'm going to read it again starting with verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God was revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness, unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that, is, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they become fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the, cre- the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And this, this right here, this, this right here is forever going to be implanted in my mind. In the treasury of David, Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, Those pure heathens and, admir- and admir- admirable savages that men talk so much of do not appear to be visible to the omniscience, the fact being that they live nowhere but in the realm of fiction. Man, that's, that's good. And that's true. And I know personally, a lot of us have probably had conversations with people, especially brothers and sisters um, in Christ who may not agree with the doctrine of total depravity, that we are born sinners, that we are born in sin, 
born in iniquity. Right? There's many conversations I've had that seems like they always point out. What about, what about those people across the world who don't know Christ? What about those, that tribe that is unreached? That there's not even a Christian that has reached this people group. They are innocent, they say. They are innocent. That's what I've been told. They speak as if they are innocent. But we know from what we just read in Romans 1, that all people, all peoples and all tribes across the world are sinful. That we are born in sin. That all know that, that there was enough evidence that there was a God. They did not worship Him. They worship the creation instead of the Creator. Right? That God has made it evident within them. And I promise you, most of the tribes that you hear of, of brothers and sisters reaching in different countries, when they finally get to this tribe, you know that they, that they are just as sinful as we are here in this country. And that there is none who does good. It isn't that we've just seen it, but God has said it in His written word. You know, our ultimate authority. For all have sinned, but there is none good. In Romans chapter 23, right? All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Just like in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, right? We quote it all the time. That you were dead and your trespasses and sins. That we weren't sick, but that we were dead in our sin. You know, personally I could understand, you know, if there's so much trouble with the doctrine of total depravity, that we were all born sinful, that we're that by nature we are sinful. If Ephesians 2, Ephesians chapter 2 didn't say that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but said that we were sick in our trespasses and sins, because then we would know, well, we have the ability. You know, we're just sick. We're just kind of going in the opposite direction. But no, the Bible says that we are dead. You know, that word dead, spiritually, spiritually, it, it, it's the word carcass. That's the Greek word, carcass. That we were, by nature, spiritually dead in our sins. And that we would seek everything but God Himself. So who is the seeker? It's God. Because we would seek everything but God. And in verse 3, it says, Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. And there is no one who does good. Not even one. The next point is one fallen race. And I just want to be clear, there's only, there's only one, one race in this world, and it's the human race. You know, we know that there are many ethnicities, but there's only one race, and it's the human race. And in this one race, this fallen race, all born from Adam, you know, all children of wrath, all enemies of God, you know, until we're reconciled or until we're adopted through the blood of Christ. It says, left to its own energy has not produced a single lover of God, 
nor will it ever do so. And that's why Christ says in John chapter 3, verse 3, He says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, there's a, there's a post that you see on Facebook, especially in the month of June, you know, the, you know, the quote-unquote the LGBTQ month. Um, you know, you see a post, you see people say, you know, I'm born this way. I'm born gay. I'm born this. You know, although in a sense, that's, that's true. You know, we're born sinners. We're, we're, we're born with a sinful nature. But that's why Christ, He says He must be born again. But the, but the wonderful and, and, and truth news is that we couldn't be born uh, spiritually any more than we could be born the first time. And it is only a work of Christ that we could be born again. It's by God drawing His people near, revealing to them their own sin, and saving them from their own sin. You know, people... Yeah, over and over again, people say to us that, that I'm born this way. And that's true, because we're born sinners. But that's why we must be born again. Every person in every nation, young and old, and every ethnicity, are either a child of God or a child of Satan. And if they are not in Christ, they, in verse 3, Every one of them has turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. And in verse 4, it says, Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge who eat at my people as though they ate bread and have not called upon God. In Proverbs 1, 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, that's already out the window because there is quote-unquote, no Lord. They say that in their heart that there is no God. There is no fear of God because in their hearts they say there is no God. And day by day, brothers and sisters in Christ, in Christ, brothers and sisters all around the world are persecuted for their faith in Christ. Although those people don't believe in that Christ. It says in verse 4, they eat at God's people as they would eat their daily bread. And instead of doing what is wise, what is obvious, what is good, by calling out to the Almighty God, the carnal mind envies those who obtain mercy, but yet will not seek mercy themselves. Just God. For only God can show that attribute. True mercy. True grace. In John 15, verse 18 through 21, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is Christ. He says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, and because of this world hates you, remember the word that I said, that they will also that, that I, sorry, remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. 
If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all things they, do, they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Not only do they get up God's people as they eat bread, but they have not called upon the only one who can save them from their own destruction. And the more they do, the more they store it from themselves, from God. Guys, that's a, that's a terrible, terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And He is. He is angry. You know, when I point this out, you know, when I'm on the street, I often say that when you look to the cross, you can see two main attributes uh, there. You can see God's love for His people, but you can also see God's anger and justice demonstrated there. You know, even I've had just one person ask, you know, how? How, how do you see that? But when you look to the cross of Jesus Christ, you see Him beaten there. You see Him mocked with the crown of thorns on His head. And He did it willingly. You know, as we know in Isaiah 53, you know, it's talking about Christ. And it says that the Father was pleased to crush Him. Just know that He would not be pleased to crush us. I mean, that's why there is hell. It's because He would not be satisfied with our lives. <clears throat> so when you look to the cross of Jesus Christ, know that God's love and God's justice is demonstrated there. For in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. Saved from what? Right? God's wrath. For Christ satisfied it when we cannot. And in verse 5, it says, There they were in great fear where no fear had been. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God had rejected them. It is not that the unbelieving personally calmly enjoyed their rebellion against the Father. As we know it, this statement points out the insecurity of those who do not fear God and instead fear everything else. You know, we see that every single day. You know, I have, I have co-workers all day. Every day, they're always talking about the next, you know, scary conspiracy theory or the next news article or, the, or you know, our country is headed for... You know, scary and dangerous times. You know, or or just anything else. There's always something to fear. But the one thing they don't fear, or they don't even, you know, quote unquote, believe in, is God. There they were in great fear, where no fear had been. Um, Charles Spurgeon has in his Treasury of David, it says, Driven by guilty conscience and perhaps their own superstition, they have experienced great and unspeakable terror. When we look at the world we live in, the state of our nation, people will literally fear everything but God. They will fear rumors of climate change, rumors of gas prices rising, 
stock market crashing, or just anything, but they will not fear God. They fear the weather, right? But don't even realize who's in control of the weather, which is God. They will fear their own shadow. They will fear a leaf hitting the ground. They have great terror of everything in the world. But the one, as we read in Matthew 10.28, Matthew 10.28, it says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, fear Him who is able to destroy both soul, both soul and body in hell. You know, as one says, it says, it could be that David prayed that God had promised an obedient Israel in Leviticus 26.36. It says in that, it says, As for those of you who may be left, I will also bring weakness into their hearts and the lands of their enemies. And the sound of a driven leaf will chase them. And even when no one is pursuing, they will flee as though from the sword, and they will fall. God, they fear not. Of men, they were greatly feared. And yet, here they, here they are in fear where no fear was. In Proverbs 28.1, it says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped, encamped against you. You put them to shame because God had rejected them. You know, we might say that attacking God's people is just as foolish as attacking or denying the existence of God. For our God is merciful. Our God is gracious. But He says, He says, my, He says, vintage is mine. And He scatters their bones and casts their souls into a lake of fire. But they have been rejected from His mercy, grace, love, and peace, and freedom, and holiness, and have been placed right under His righteousness and fierce justice. (coughs) Brothers and sisters, that is a terrible, terrible thing. And I think, you you know, the sermon that Brady preached last week at the conference, one thing that I know that has been true for me personally is that if there's any, anything that's going to drive a man to share the gospel with those who are perishing, with those who are headed for hell, it is the love for souls. It is the love for men. For every single day, you know, just reading passages like this, it's, it's convicting. It's convicting. Because not only are there times as if I live, if there is no God in my heart, but when it speaks about these things and where the unrighteous and the fools are headed, it it breaks. It breaks my heart to know, just to think that one day, as I am preaching in front of these people who who deny Christ, who hate Christ, it's just hard to imagine that one day they will hear my words my, my words that I've spoken to them when they're in hell. And that's a terrible thought. You know, I don't, I don't want anyone to go there. I don't want my father or my mother 
or my sister or any of my friends or co-workers to go there. But without Christ, without Christ, they will go there. And that's a terrible thought. But that's the truth. And it's the love for souls, it's the love for men, as Brady has said, that will drive us to share the gospel with our parents and with our siblings and co-workers. <clears throat> for it says, God scatters the bones of him who can't encamp against you or against him. It's not just atheists, right? Professing atheists who are there, who, who, are, who are headed there. It's those who are not in Christ. For we see David's plea. He says in verse 6, Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores His captive people, let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. You see, David recognizes that the only place that hope could come from, that peace could come from, that freedom could come from, that reconciliation can come from, is from Zion, which is God's dwelling place. And uh, as, as, you know, in, in closing, uh, I'm going to read you guys John 1. John chapter 1, and you guys, if you guys would turn there with me, but before we do, oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores His captive people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. It is only of the work of God that a captive people could be restored. Let Jacob rejoice. Jacob, his people, rejoice. Let Israel be glad. In First John, or sorry, in John 1, verses 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, many, many people, uh, if there's any greater attack, it's the, it's the attack on Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is not God. But we know from John 1 that it's clear, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember that. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came to, into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light. But he came but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own. And to those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as but as many as received them, to, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. And the Word became flesh. Right? The Word became flesh. Right? Just when we see it in verse 1, the Word was God. And then we see the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. And glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He comes after me as a higher rank than I, for He exists, He existed before me. For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God. No, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is the bosom, the bosom of the Father, He has explained. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed. And did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisee. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me. The thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. This is he on behalf whom I have said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but, that, but so that he might man, manifest to Israel. I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Again, David's plea, he turns his eye to the God of the heavens and the God of the world, God who created the world who sent His Son, the righteous King, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And He restores His captive people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let us be glad. Let us be glad that you have the Spirit of God in you because of what Christ has done. Because God who sent His Son came in flesh, and died for us willingly. That is good news. So let us rejoice and let Israel be glad. Uh, uh, Let us pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, God. I pray as we sing this last song that you would give us joy, that we have joy. Remind us of the joy that we have so that we can make a joyful noise to you. Not worrying about how we sound, but simply just singing, praising you for your glory and our efforts and also for your glory, for what Christ has done so we can do so with joy. Thank you, God, for Christ. And may our words not be not be in vain, but be for your glory. Thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Do you guys just stand with me as we sing one more song?